Our second reading comes from the, the book of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, this is my son, the beloved. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples had heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome with fear. But Jesus came to them and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. We celebrate the written word of Scripture. Thanks, Thanks be, to, be God. to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Loving God, in your creating grandeur, in the presence of you in Jesus Christ, in the Spirit's whisper, draw us near to you, open your word to us, that we might become your living word to bless the world you love so much. Amen. For the past three weeks, We've been spending time in the Sermon on the Mount, up on a mountain with Jesus, talking and teaching. This morning's scripture, 12 chapters later in the Gospel of Matthew, takes us up another mountain for a totally different type of experience. In the Sermon on the Mount, remember, Jesus takes his disciples up a mountain and he sits down and teaches, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the peacemakers and the merciful and the meek. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He even includes an almost rabbinic lecture on the law. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been teaching with words and rhetoric. It is a discourse on that mountain it's like Jesus is up there with a piece of chalk on a blackboard explaining things to us. In this morning's scripture, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up another mountain, a high mountain, and things aren't nearly so linear. There are flashes of light. Jesus glows and shines. There are Moses and Elijah, and there's a booming voice from heaven. And we, along with Peter, James, and John, are left wondering, somewhat bewildered, what on earth does all this mean? What's the word we experience here in what we see, what we hear, what we feel? But first, let's 
catch up on what's happened between that Sermon on the Mount and the Mountain of Transfiguration. After the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes down from the mountain and he wades back into the welter of life. The crowds follow him. They surround him with their many needs. He heals many. He calms stormy waters and he raises a young girl from the dead. Jesus calls a few more disciples, and then he sends the 12 out on their own. He begins teaching in those parables. And then in the midst of all that healing and teaching, Jesus receives word that John the Baptist has been murdered by Herod. Power has responded. And Jesus draws away to a solitary place and pauses for a bit. And then he gets back up. He feeds 5,000, he walks on water, and after all that, right before this morning's scripture, Jesus takes a breath and asks his disciples, so, who do people say the Son of Man is, the human one? And then he asks them, and who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says, the Christ You are the Christ, the living Son of God. There it is. Someone has said it out loud. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, who I now call Peter. And then Jesus explains. So this means that I'm going to suffer many things, that I'm going to die, and on the third day be raised to life. That's what happens right before this morning's scripture. It is already ought to take in and they go up a mountain Jesus Peter James and John and when they get to the mountaintop Jesus is transfigured it's the Greek word metamorphosis he is transformed his face shines his clothes become a dazzling white something is happening here it's not unlike that time in the Exodus scripture that Jim read this morning when Moses went up the mountain and experienced God Peter, James, and John watch, and all of a sudden they see Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And maybe they remember Jesus saying, I've come not to tear down the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And then a voice from heaven booms, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The same words from Jesus' baptism And also what Peter blurted out just six days ago, you are the Christ, the living Son of God. And notice how Peter, James, and John react. I love that moment when they see Moses and Elijah and and Peter says, Jesus, it's good for us to be here. If you want, I can build, uh, build three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I've seen all sorts of interpretations or explanations of that. Maybe this is Peter being, this experience is so overwhelming that Peter just defaults to doing. I don't really understand this, but I'm just going to get busy. (laughs) Let me do something. Maybe this is Peter wanting to remain here in this mountaintop experience to dwell here, to savor it. Maybe it's a deeply embedded memory of what the people did after Moses came down from the mountain. They built a tent, a tent to be a dwelling place for God. Let me build you a shelter here. 
But before the words are completely out of Peter's mouth, another voice speaks over him, a bright cloud, a voice from heaven. And at this point, Peter, James, and John fall to the ground, terrified, overwhelmed, bewildered. This is what, the peop what people in the Bible do when they experience God. It's why angels arrive saying, don't be afraid, because people are afraid in this moment. Jesus, uh, in this moment, Peter, James, and John are experiencing Jesus, the human one, the Christ, the Son of God, the beloved, who has come to fulfill the law and the prophets, who's come with healing in his hands, who will suffer and die and on the third day be raised from raised to life. They're experiencing all that right here in this moment. What they are experiencing is so much bigger than them, so much bigger than anything they've ever known, so much bigger than anything they can comprehend. What they are experiencing is awe. Dr. Keltner over in Berkeley and a number of other scientists have been doing a good bit of research on awe. Keltner has just published a book on awe and what he calls the new science of everyday wonder. It is a great book. I highly recommend it. Awe is an emotion common to human experience across cultures down through the ages. Keltner describes awe as the feeling of being in the presence of something vast that transcends your current understanding of the world. These scientists are studying awe. They're gathering stories and experience of, uh, experiences of awe across cultures, and they're observing our physiological um, uh, responses to awe. And it shouldn't surprise us, that's often measured in tears and goosebumps. They have ways of measuring the response of our hair follicles. <laughs> you know, when, when you get that tingling feeling, they, they can measure that and sense that. Awe is an embodied experience. So out of that research, Keltner has identified eight types of experiences, eight types of experience, eight ways across cultures we experience awe. He calls them the wonders of life. Let's see how many we can name. So think for a moment what kind of experiences give us awe. And I'm flipping over to the chat. So you can answer the question in the chat, what kind of experiences give us awe? And here in this room, you can just shout it out. What kind of experiences give us awe? What was that? Birth of a child. That's number eight, birth, life, and death. Meteors and mountains, that would be nature. Lightning. Sun, sun music, there you go. Flowers, absolutely glorious flowers. Glorious flowers as they grow in nature and as they are uh, arranged into visual design. So visual design and beauty is one. So excellent, you all did well. Sunrise, music, looking at the night sky or in the chat. Um, puppies, there we go, there we go. So here they are. Here are the eight wonders of life. Nature. Music, the strength, courage, and kindness of others. I love this one. He calls it collective effervescence. You ever experienced that? <laughs> it's like being at a concert. Um, being at a concert when you kind of get caught up into it or um, a political protest for those of us who are activists. Visual design and beauty. Music, 
spiritual, mystical experiences, birth, life, and death, and big ideas, epiphanies. You know, those aha moments. Probably the most obvious of these, and I heard, I think, the most responses is nature. That sense of standing on a mountaintop or on a beach, seeing a sunset almost too big for the sky to hold. For me recently, just last month, watching a whale breach just throw itself up out of the water and land down in a big splash. Take a moment and remember a time where you experienced awe in nature. Here in this place, maybe experiences of music, maybe even some spiritual epiphanies, those aha moments come to mind. I remember back in December that experience that the choir gave us when you all sang Handel's Messiah. Do you remember that? Or when Natsuko plays the organ and the music reverberates not just in this room but in our bodies. This is a great seat for that, right in front of the organ. I mean, it's fantastic. I remember, and I think I've mentioned this before because it's such a powerful memory to me, I remember back in the depths of COVID when the choir was singing and making videos. And do you remember that video where they put the Benedictus to the visuals of starlings in murmuration? I remember when Danielle sent it to me for the first time, I just kept watching it over and over again in awe. Now, they've studied these types of awe experiences across culture, and I've got one more question for you. Can you guess, across cultures around the world, which of them is the most common experience of awe? I hear nature. That's number two. In the United States, it's number one. It is experiences of the strength courage and kindness of others what keltner calls moral beauty what tony morrison calls allowing goodness its own speech we experience awe most frequently in each other around the world that's where we most often experience awe in the lives and courage and kindness of others think for a moment about the horror that we have seen in the news stories from the earthquake in turkey and syria now think of those moments where teams of neighbors, after digging through rubble day after day, long past we thought anyone could have survived, have pulled out from the debris someone still living. Someone who has survived. And they've been pulled to freedom and back into life by the strength, courage, and kindness of neighbors. Seeing humanity like that changes us. They've studied this. Witnessing others' acts of courage, kindness, and strength activates places in our brain where emotions translate into ethical action, in our brain where we give goodness its own speech in the lives we live. Here's the thing about awe, what they're finding Awe opens us up and reorients us to things outside ourselves. Awe brings us face to face with things that are beyond our comprehension. Experiences of awe can not unexpectedly be challenging, unsettling, destabilizing. 
by making us aware of something bigger than us, awe unsettles those false notions that we have that we're somehow in control or that we're somehow alone. Awe transforms us. It pulls us out of ourselves and connects us to each other and to the systems and ecosystems in which we live and move and have our being, nature, families, communities, and... And awe empowers and encourages us to seek new forms of understanding together, to create, to collaborate, to make meaning together. Awe shakes us out of our settled framing of the world, the way we used to see things. Awe points us to and connects us with something bigger, something so much more. Awe sends us off together into a journey of seeking and meaning-making. In just a few days on Wednesday, we will begin our journey together, our yearly journey through the season of Lent. This year, our theme centers on the experience of seeking, inviting us to engage honest questions for a deeper faith. So as we stand with Jesus, Peter, James, and John on the mountain of transfiguration and look forward to that journey, I've got two practices to suggest for this week. The first one is one that Dasher Keltner recommends, and it's an invitation to take what he calls an awe walk. An awe walk. You can do this outside. You can even do it in your home. You could do it in your imagination. Um, but one thing about awe that they found is that we experience awe not rarely, but all the time in everyday life, in the experience of nature, music, the strength, courage, and kindness of others. They've actually found that most people experience awe at least two or three times a week. So the invitation is to take an awe walk, moving out into the day and noticing awe, those moments we encounter something bigger than ourselves. And then the second practice is to gather your questions. As you experience life and the world this week, notice what are the questions that you are carrying with you in these days. What are the questions rising up in you? The invitation is to bring those questions and all of who you are into our Lenten journey as we journey with Christ and seek meaning together. Jesus begins his ministry proclaiming the kingdom of heaven here on earth, a brave new world breaking forth even now. Peter, James, and John are there to hear that, to hear Jesus teach his words themselves something beyond comprehension as he talks about something so vast that it is transforming the world. They walk with him as he shows them and us the fullness of our own humanity embodied in strength, courage, and kindness as he reaches out and heals so many, all our broken places, and even raises some from death back into life. When Peter at last stammers out, you are the Christ, Jesus turns even that on its head, yes, and I must suffer and die and on the third day be raised from the dead, and Jesus takes them up onto a mountaintop with a vista over the vast expanse of creation, and he is transfigured there. And from the depths of their memory, Moses and Elijah appear. A cloud glows, a voice from heaven resounds. What they are experiencing is awe. Something vast that transcends their understanding of the world and maybe ours, the fullness of our humanity embodied in the life of Christ God, so very present that they can feel it in their bones. But here's the moment that gets me. 
Did you see it in, in the midst of all that? Flashing lights and voices from heaven when they fall to the ground. Scripture says that when they fall to the ground in terror, Jesus touches them. Jesus touches them and says, don't be afraid. Go on, get up. Let's go. Take a minute. Take a minute, take a breath, and imagine what that looks like. However you want to see it. You've got Peter, James, and John fallen face down on the ground, and Jesus touches them. Does he walk over and gently touch each one of them? Or does he linger? Does Jesus kneel down next to them and, and place his hand on their back, you know, in that, in that hollow between their shoulder blades and say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Or does he hold them, his arm around them? Don't be afraid. Come on, get up, let's go. And do they then rise up one by one? Or together as one? Shaking off the dirt, amazed to be alive in the presence of all this. Where just a moment ago they saw Moses and Elijah, now there's just Jesus himself alone. Where there was a dazzling glow of light, now only the dim dusk that comes at the end of a long day. They still got a long journey back down that mountain. Does Jesus again place his hand on their back and gently urge them forward out of the experience of the transfiguration up on that mountain, back down into the welter and turmoil of life? Come on, let's go. Let's carry that image that image into our Lenten journey in the moments of life that transcend understanding in the turmoil and welter of life on the threshold of the journey back down that mountain, Jesus kneels down next to Peter, James, and John, places his arm around his disciples, his friends, and says, don't be afraid. Come on. Get up. Let's go.